feeling no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, knowing that the blood of Jesus washed away all of our sins. Lord, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you extended towards us. Even though we didn't deserve it, your, your, your great love supersedes how we feel about ourselves. Lord, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our savior, to provide us with hope, to fill us with joy, give us peace, and restore our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, because of your son, Jesus, we stand before you righteous. Not as our own righteousness, but the righteousness that comes through your son, Jesus. It is his righteousness that we declare. Lord, for th- thank you for making us right standing with you. Thank you for making us acceptable to you. Thank you for calling us your son and your daughter. Thank you for taking a personal interest in each of our lives. As you lead us and guide us and comfort us and strengthen us and help us every step of the way. Lord, we are so grateful for the grace that is so abundant, so everlasting. That you showered upon your people, Lord, and we thank you for that. We honor you, Father. We praise you. We glorify your name. And we love you. Thank you for loving us as we are. But thank you also for loving us enough not to leave us where we are. But to change us and transform our lives and make us to be more like your son. And Lord, for this we thank you. And we honor you tonight. We ask that you bless the word. We ask that you fill this place with your presence and with your power. May you open up our hearts and give us a ready mind to receive your word. And let your word, Lord God, be filled with power. Lord, touch every life, Lord God. Every individual that is here tonight, those that are watching my live stream, Father God, reach out to them, speak into their hearts. Meet them right where they are. Get their attention tonight, Lord, with your word. And let the Holy Spirit have free, free reign and free course tonight. And Lord, for this we thank you. In your precious Son's name we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen and Amen. Glory to God. Thank you all for being here tonight. Those of you who are watching by live stream, thank you for joining us as well. I believe that we're here by assignment. I believe that God has a timely word for us. I don't believe that I'm here to make you comfortable and make you feel good. I believe that God wants to make us uncomfortable. I believe God wants to make us uneasy and he wants to challenge us. I believe God wants us to take inventory in our lives and begin to look at our lives to see where we are. But that's okay. Because we're good, in the end, we're better for it. So I ask you to 
have ears to hear tonight what God has to say. Tonight I want to, well, a couple of Wednesdays ago, I began to share a message on God having right away into our lives. And of course, to have right away means to yield, means to surrender. And we talked about that. We talked about what is surrender. We talked about why it's so difficult for us to surrender. And then we talked about the rewards for surrendering. So tonight I want to continue along those lines, but I want to talk to you about giving God right away. It's one thing to know that God has the right away in our lives. But it's another thing to give him the right away. Because I believe that the key to Christian living is a surrendered life that allows God the right away into every aspect of our lives. As I mentioned to you in our last meeting, surrender is a battle term. It's a military term that simply means giving up all rights to ourselves, to our lives. And see, that's not a comfortable thing when you think about that because it's human nature not to want to give up anything. It's human nature not to surrender everything. We want to hold on to some things. But complete surrender is giving all control over our lives. And I remember that in, in, in our last meeting, I, I used an example uh, in 1 Kings chapter 20 in verse 4, where if you remember where the king of Israel was surrounded by the king of Syria and all of his forces. And it was ancient custom that when the enemy comes before they attack and lay siege to the city, they would send messengers to discuss the terms of surrender, if they choose to surrender. And so the king of Syria sent a message to the king of Israel, which was King Ahab. And it was a very simple, very short, and very to-the-point message. And the message was simply this. Everything that you have is mine. Your wealth, your throne, your kingdom, even your wives and your children belong to me. But it was how the king of Israel responded to that threat. He simply said these words. He says, O Lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. And notice that there were no resistance, there was no fighting, there was no struggle. It was simply surrender, a complete surrender. And just so you'll know the concept of surrender, in September 2nd in 1945 was the year that Japan finally and officially surrendered to the United States. But in order for the surrender to be official, the United States sent one of their generals to meet one of the Japanese generals. When they both finally met to make this surrender official, the Japanese general extended his hand to shake the, general, the, the U.S. general's hand. And the U.S. general tells the Japanese general, he says this, I cannot shake your hand, sir, unless you first surrender your sword. He says, we cannot be friends as long as you're carrying that sword at your side. Give me the sword and then we'll shake hands. In other words, until the Japanese general was willing to surrender his sword, surrender would not be complete. Unless he was willing to, to relinquish control and give up all rights to that sword and place that sword in the U.S. general's hands, surrender would not be official. There are many of us who want to shake God's hands while still carrying our swords. That is the sword of our will. Are you hearing me this, this evening? And until we surrender our wills to God, 
surrender will not be complete. When we give everything to God, we're giving him right away. We are surrendering our lives, our thoughts, our wills, our attitudes, everything. There was a young woman who was praying to God and she was saying, what her, part of her prayer was this. She says, Lord, what would you have me to do? How many of you have ever prayed that prayer before? I'm sure most of us have at one time or another. She continues, she says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And she says, how best can I use your gifts to further the kingdom and to further and to glorify your name? And of course, you know, over time she received a response from God. She received an answer. And it's always wonderful and exciting to hear from God. Amen? But are we really ready to hear what God has to say? And so God began, and so God spoke to her. But what's interesting is this. It took her a while to hear what God was really saying to her because she was expecting to hear something else. But when she finally realized what God had been trying to say to her all along, it was just one simple word. And that word was surrender. When you surrender to God, what God is really saying is, give me the keys to your lives. Let me steer and take control and I will safely get you to where you ought to be. That's what surrender simply is. God is saying to surrender the control or or the keys to your lives, to your plans, to your future, to your dreams, to your visions, to your goals. Give up the keys to your to your possessions. Give up the keys to your families and your finances. Are you willing to do that? Surrendering to God is simply aligning what we want with what he wants. And then following and be willing to follow him and allow him to guide us in where he needs to take us. Go to Psalms chapter 32 and let's look at verse 8. I'm going to read this to you from the Amplified Version. It says, the Lord will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But look what he says in verse 9. Be not like the horse or the mule which lack understanding, which must have their mouths held firm with a bit and bridle, or else they will not come with you. How many of you have ever rode a horse before? When we ride a horse, we have complete control over it, as long as the horse has a bridle and a bit in its mouth. When I'm riding the horse and I want to turn left, I just simply pull the left rein and the horse will turn left. If I want to go right, I'll pull the right rein and the horse will turn right. If I want the horse to stop, I'll just pull the rein back and the horse will stop. But if the horse didn't have the bridle or the bit, it'd be very hard for me to control the horse. I couldn't get the horse to do anything. Couldn't get the horse to turn to the right or to the left or to even stop. What God is simply saying is this, don't be like the horse or the mule where you need a bridle and a bit in order to be controlled. Because understand, that's not how God works. God will not put a bridle or a bit into your mouth to control you and make you do what you don't want to do. That's not how God rolls. God simply wants us to surrender, yield our lives to him so that he can come in and take control. That's how God works. But there were, there were, actually, there were several reasons why we are to surrender our lives to God. But I only have time to give you at least two of them. 
So let me just go with that. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. One of the reasons why we are to surrender to God is simply because Jesus has rights over our lives. And the reason why he has rights is because he paid a high price for those rights. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 18, it says this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. But it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. That blood was able to accomplish more than what silver and gold could ever accomplish. This blood of Jesus, unlike the silver and gold, which fluctuates in value, the blood of Jesus never fluctuates in value. Because the blood of Jesus, the value of its, of its blood is eternal. It never loses its value. The blood of Jesus still carries the same miraculous power today that it did over 2,000 years ago. His blood never loses its power. His blood never loses its value. His blood always, always remains powerful and effective even today. And so because Jesus shed his blood... This qualifies him to have full rights to our entire lives. However, even though Jesus has legal rights to our lives, he will not force his way into our lives unless we yield our rights to his lordship. That will be the only way he'll step in. See, Jesus is a gentleman. He will not force his way into our lives. He's waiting for us to invite him and yield everything into his hands. And as I mentioned to you in our last, in our last meeting, this is not a one-time uh, event. This is a daily choice. This is a daily practice that we must continue to do while trusting him as well, putting our whole trust in him. So one of the reasons why we are to surrender to the Lord Jesus is because he bought and paid for us with his life, giving full rights to our lives. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's another reason. In verse 16. Another reason why we have to yield and to surrender to the Lord is because we are his temple. In verse 16 it says, And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God, and God said, I will live in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Because our bodies is God's temple. And because he lives in us. That makes our body sacred. Now I'm sure that you've never thought of your body as being sacred. You may look at your body maybe it's something else. But it's certainly never in our, mind, in our minds that we think that it's sacred. But because someone that is holy. Someone that is righteous. Someone that is divine lives in there. <clears throat> that makes our bodies sacred. And so because in to, sacred, the word sacred means that something that is connected to God or something that is dedicated for religious services or for religious, for religious uh, purposes. So because this body is sacred, we cannot profane it. And that word profane simply means to desecrate or to contaminate or to pollute. It also means to treat it with disrespect. So, in other words, our bodies are to be treated with respect. We are not to disrespect our bodies. We're not to contaminate our bodies. We're not to pollute our bodies because our body is sacred. What we do to our, do, what we do to our bodies, we do to God's temple. 
Now, when I say don't disrespect, I'm not talking about just diet. You know, it's good that we eat right. We exercise our bodies and we take care of our bodies because, you know, we want our bodies strong. We want to be able to live long. And, of course, the longer we live, the longer God can use us. But I'm talking about how you use your body as far as your life is concerned. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 13 from the Amplified Version. It says this, Do not continue offering or yielding your bodily members and faculties to sin as instruments or tools of wickedness. But offer and yield yourselves to God as though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life and your bodily members and faculties to God, presenting them as implements or instruments or tools of righteousness. So the fact that our bodies are, are, are temples of the living God, and because it's sacred, it is supposed to be sacred for a holy living, for righteous living, and for righteous purposes. Because our body is sacred, it is to be dedicated for God's use. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is this, am I yielding my body as instruments of righteousness? Am I allowing God, my body or God's temple for a holy purpose? Or are we using the members of our bodies to sin against God? Members meaning our eyes, our hands, our feet, our mouths, our ears. Are we using our mouth to lie or to spread gossip? Are we using our hands to, to steal or to do physical harm to our spouses or to our children? Are we allowing our mouths, or I mean our eyes, to look at uh, pornography? Are we, are we using our ears to listen to profanity or to listen to gossip? What are you using your members for? What are you allowing your members to be used for? Because our bodies is God's temple and because it's a sacred thing, it's for righteous living, it's for righteous purpose, because the temple is God's. God owns it, not man. The moment we gave our lives to the Lord, God came in by his spirit to live inside of us. Now it becomes his home. It becomes his place of worship. It becomes his place called his temple. And he lives in us. The Bible tells us that we are not our own because we're bought with a price. And so therefore the Bible tells us that we are to glorify God in our bodies as well as in our spirit. Because we belong to God. But we don't give God the right away in our lives. It prevents God from making a difference in our lives. If we find ourselves doing the same thing, acting the same way, dealing with the same issues and the same struggles, and finding no change, well, it could be that maybe you've not given God the right of way into your lives. It could mean that you've not completely surrendered to God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be struggling or being in the same place that you've been in for several years. And here's the problem. We still want to be hands-on over our lives. We still want to have some control. We still want to have some say over us because we don't like giving up anything. 
But understand that surrendering is not just letting God in because God's already in. Because this is his home, his temple. Surrendering is really about God kicking us out and getting us out of the way. Because we make too much of a mess. We get in his way too much. We want to stick our hands. We want to tell God what we need him to do. Rather than surrendering and allowing him to do what he needs to do. I believe that there's still in us. What still exists in us is this attitude of ownership. This attitude of entitlement. There's part of us that still resists God. There's this constant conflict that is going on with our flesh and with our spirit when we surrender it simply means stop fighting God and there are too many of us are still fighting God in World War II Germany surrendered then they stopped fighting Japan surrendered then they stopped fighting God is, willing, is, is waiting for some of us to surrender and stop fighting him there are still some of us that are still holding on to the sword of our will and not willing to give it up. And God is waiting. Which leads me to my second point here. Why is surrendering so important to God? Why does that matter to God? Well, one reason is this. God wants to go to work in us. When we give him the right of way, we, get, we let God get to work in our lives. How many of you know that we need work? Every one of us should raise our hands. We all need work. The Bible tells us that God had already started a work in us when we gave our lives to him. Go to Philippians chapter 1 and look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who is has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote this, Paul wrote with confidence. He was confident because of the fact that God started something in him. He was not only confident about the work that God had begun, but he was also confident in knowing that God was going to continue the work in his life. He also expressed a confidence in God's ability to not only continue the work, but to complete it until the day of our Lord. And notice that it says that the work has begun. Which means that the work is not finished yet. He started a work, but he's continuing the work because it's a continuous process. God is transforming us to make us his masterpiece. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. So one of my favorite verses, a very familiar verse. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Now, let me stop there. What is it about us? That God would consider it to be a masterpiece. Because I don't know about you, but when I look in a mirror, I don't see a masterpiece. I see a serious work that is in progress. But then he goes on to say, for we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So he's saying we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus which is the blueprint by which God uses to create in us. So the masterpiece has nothing to do with you and I. The masterpiece has everything to do with Christ because that is God's goal, to transform us into the image of his son. And Jesus is the blueprint that God uses to make us to become more like him. 
Ephesians 4.24 tells, tells us this. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So this work that God has started in us is a work that will, be, that will not be completed overnight, but is a continuous process in our lives. And the more that we give God, uh, the more we surrender to God, the more we give him right into our lives, the more God is able to accomplish in us. Understand that God is at work. But he cannot do his work if we don't allow him. He cannot continue his work if we get in the way and prevent him from doing what he's called to do and what he wants to do. The wonderful thing about this, it's God that's doing the work. Not you, not me, not technology, God. Philippians 2.13, Paul tells us, For it is God that is working in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And as we look to the scriptures, we find that there are three phases of, to the work of God in the Christian's life. One is the work of salvation, which is the work God does for us. Then there's the work of sanctification, which is the work that God does in us. Then there's the work of service, which God does, or, which is the work that God does through us. All three phases involves God. Are you hearing me? But in order for these three phases to be effective in our lives, we have to simply get out of God's way, give him the right of way, and let him do his work, and give him that rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. We are to be pliable like clay in his hands. Go to Isaiah chapter 64. Look at verse 8. It says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are our parter, and all that we are, and all we are the work of your hand. Who does it say is, is the clay? Who is the clay? We are. Who is the potter? God is. Have you ever played with clay before? Come on, I know all of you play with clay. Some of you probably still play with clay. But... You know, you have your brand new jar of clay here, right? You take it out. It's nice and soft and pliable, and you can just do just about anything with it. And let's say you decide you're going to make a dog. You, you take a piece of clay, you roll it up and, and put it up, and then you take another one, use it for the legs, and you stick it in there and everything. You got yourself a dog. Then you got another can of clay, but it's, it's kind of like a year old. It's old. And you take it out, and it's hard. It's crusty. And then there's some parts that are soft, some parts are hard, some parts are crusty. You try making a dog with that, it's not going to come out very good. You try rolling it and shaping it and molding it, it gets all crusty, it's crumbly and everything else. You're not going to get much. That's how some of us are. Hard and crusty and hard to mold and shape. But God wants us to be pliable like clay. He wants us to be like clay in his hands so he can shape us and mold us as he pleases when a sculptor creates an image, for, uh, for instance, if he, use, if he tries to chisel uh, uh, an image out of stone, it's going to require some hammering, it's going to require some chiseling, it's going to require some taking some chunks of, uh, of, of stone. It, it's a lot of work, but a lot has to be done in order to shape that image. One day when Michelangelo built or created a, an angel, which was one of his earlier works, someone had asked him, what was... 
uh, how was he able to create such a masterpiece? And it was interesting that Michelangelo, the response of Michelangelo, because this is what he said. He said, it's quite simple. All you have to do is take away everything from the block that doesn't look like an angel. That's the kind of work that God is able to do in us when we surrender to him. God wants to, listen, all God wants to do is change the, the, the parts of us that doesn't resemble Christ. Are you hearing me? How many of you can honestly say that there's still something in you or something's in you in your life that don't resemble Christ? But see, all God wants to do is, is to identify those parts that doesn't reflect Christ and then remove it so that we, come, so we can become more like Christ. You see, God sees right where we are. He sees us the way we really are. And when we surrender to God, what we do when we give him the right away, then what he does, he, he targets those areas in our lives so that he can remove them. Attitudes like, like pride, selfishness, jealousy, anger, unforgiveness, all of these things God sees. But when we give him the right away, you allow him to come in and begin to remove those things. Chisel them out. Remove them. So what we need to do is we need to stop hiding these different areas of our lives from God and allow him to take away everything that doesn't look like Christ so that we can become more like Christ. Amen? You don't think, or maybe I should, let me rephrase that. Do you think that God is able to do a work in us if our hearts or if we're partially surrendered to him? You think God can still do a work in us if our, if, if our hearts are partially surrendered to him? No, God can't do anything when we're partially surrendered because God requires complete surrender, remember? God wants a vessel that is completely surrendered to him. God is looking for empty vessel that's willing to empty every trace of ourselves so that God can step in and begin to do his work. Think about this. We know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We know that this temple belongs to God and that God lives in us. Something holy, something divine, something that is righteous lives in us. That's awesome. But stop to think about that. Stop to think. All of God is working in us. Think about this. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, is working in us. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, is working in us. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, is working in us. El Elyon, the Most High, is working in us. Jehovah Ra, my shepherd, is working in us. Adonai, the Lord and Master, is working in us. Hallelujah. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, is working in us. El Eloah, God and mighty and strong, is working in us. All of God is working in us. If you want work done, if you want your plumbing to be done, you want to hire an expert plumber, right? Because you know the job's going to get done and it's going to get done right. You're not going to hire 
a policeman to do your plumbing. You're not going to hire a carpenter to do your plumbing. You want to hire a plumber, an expert. God is an expert at what he does. And he's working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. He's working in us to remove everything that don't look like Christ. Everything that don't resemble Christ. So that we become more and more like Christ. By simply giving God the right away, we are simply saying to God, Lord, I'm relinquishing my rights of being what I think I ought to be and letting you make me to be what you want me to be. We talked about the concept of surrender. We talked about why surrendering is so important to God. But this leads me with my third point. To surrender means laying our lives at the altar. Go to Romans chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1. God always brings us to a better place when we lay our lives on the altar and give everything to him. When Abraham, when God told Abraham to give up his son, God was telling him, give up the one thing that you love the most. And Abraham's son was, was his life. It was, it was his, not only was he the heir, but it was his life. And he loved his son. And God was saying, I need you to give me a part of your life. And I want you to lay it to the altar. And Abraham, because he trusted God, surrendered his son as a sacrifice. By laying him at the altar. Because God requested it. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul starts out by saying, I beseech you therefore, my brethren, indicating that he was talking to believers. This is a letter to all of us. And the word beseech means to plead. As a matter of fact, most commentators paint a picture of Paul prayerfully pleading with urgency to the people of Rome to not only listen to what he was about to say, but to do what he was going to tell them. And that is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This was not a suggestion that Paul was making. It was a plea to do this because it was imperative and it was important. That word you present, that phrase, means to present as a sacrifice or to dedicate something to the Lord. That same word is found in Luke 2 and verse 22. You don't need to turn there. But this is a story when uh, Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate uh, baby Jesus to the Lord. And the Bible says that they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That means to dedicate him for service. Well, that same word present is the same word that Paul uses here in uh, Romans 12 and verse 1. He's saying, dedicate your lives, your body, for service unto God. In the same way that Jesus offered up his body as a sacrifice for the service of God. <clears throat> so just as Mary and Joseph presented Jesus to God to be fully dedicated for his service, Paul is saying that we are to present our bodies also to service to the service of God to dedicate our bodies to God go to 1st Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11 
Here's a story of Hannah who was barren and couldn't have a child. And she was praying that God would give her a son. And she made a vow to God. If God gave her a son, she says this. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's army. If you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for your entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Hannah completely presented his, her son to the Lord, completely dedicating his, her son to the service of God. If God gave her a son. I like what the message translation says. Listen to what it says. Then she made a vow and she says, Oh God of the angel armies, if you'll take good, if you take a good hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, watch this. I will give him completely, unreservedly, or without reservation to you, and I will set him apart for a life of holy discipline. When Paul says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, he's telling us that we are to dedicate our bodies completely and unreservedly, without reservation, for a life of holy discipline and a life of holy work and holy living. Now, of course, this is going to pose some challenges for us because our, the nature of our human body does not want to offer itself to any altar because it wants to keep control. It wants to uh, satisfy our flesh. It wants to be its own master. As a matter of fact, our flesh, our human nature, built its own altar. Our flesh doesn't want to give in. But 2 Chronicles chapter 14 in verses 2 and 3, you don't need to turn there. We'll read the story where King Asa became king of Judah. When he became king, the place was a mess. The, the entire kingdom was spiritually destitute. People turned away from God. They were backslidden. They began to turn to other gods and worship other gods. But when, when King Asa took over and became king, he made some changes. And one of the things that he did, the Bible says that, he would, that, that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And this is what he did. He removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars and then he cut down the wooden images and restored everything back to where it was supposed to be. To completely dedicate ourselves to the Lord, we may have to do some removing and tearing down some old altars. Some of the altars that we built over the years to satisfy our flesh. There are some things that we need to cut down and remove and get out of the way before we can be completely surrendered to God. Look at what Romans 6 verse 19 says. Romans 6 verse 19 says this. Because of the weakness of your human nature, Paul says, I am using this illustration of slavery to help you understand this. He says, previously you let or presented yourselves to be slaves to impurity and lawlessness which led even ever deeper into sin. Now you must give or present yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you can become holy. Paul is saying this. Before we were saved, we gave our lives and presented our lives and our bodies to, do, to live like sin, to, to please our flesh. 
and to fall deeper deeper into sin. But when we became born again, he says, now, now that you're born again, now that you're a child of God, now is a time that you give or present yourselves to become slaves or servants, not for unrighteousness, but for righteous living. It's a decision that we have to make. Because we're believers, because we're born again Christians, there's no reason why we cannot live a righteous life. Because if we're not living righteously, it's because of a matter of choice. Are you hearing me? We choose to live unrighteously. We choose to present our bodies and use it as instruments of unrighteousness. But the choice is ours. Because we've been set free from the power of sin and death. Sin has no longer control over our lives. We are free to follow God and obey Him and live a righteous life. But it's a choice that we have to make. Dedication of ourselves to the Lord would be meaningless if obedience and surrender was not involved. It would just simply be a religious experience which would be meaningless to God. God is not telling us to make an occasional visit to the altar. He's telling us to make a frequent visit to the altar. Making it a habit. He wants us to to not only go to the altar, but he wants us to stay at the altar 24-7. Understand that we are called to a holy priesthood. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 5. It says, Come. And like living stones be yourselves, built into a spiritual house for a holy, dedicated, consecrated priesthood to offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. We have been dedicated and consecrated to the priesthood. When Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord... God was able to use Samuel in such a powerful way that he was able to make a difference in people's lives. When Joseph and Mary dedicated Jesus to the Lord, we all know what God had done through him, and Jesus made a difference to the entire world. Well, God wants you and I to be at the altar. He wants all of us, our body, soul, and spirit, to be at the altar on a daily basis. Because when we're at the altar, we are dedicating ourselves to live for God and to be used of God. And so that God, while we're at the altar, God is also preening us and shaping us and molding us to become all that he wants us to be. But this is not easy. This is a tall order for us to be able to do this every day. But nonetheless, it is something that God does require of us. And because it is God that's working in us, it is possible for me to be everything that God wants us to be. How many of you desire to be all that God wants you to be? That should be everyone's desire. But you and I cannot be that. You and I cannot make that happen. Only God can do that. But in order for God to do that, we just have to learn to surrender everything and say, Lord, I want to give myself up, get myself out of the way, and just let you be you. Just let you do your stuff. You're the expert. You know how to make me to be what you want me to be. So why not let him do it? But it's going to require daily 
sacrifice, a daily commitment, a daily dedication to the Lord. From the moment you wake up, you're already dedicating your life to the Lord. The moment you go to bed, you're thanking the Lord and, and thanking Him for another opportunity to dedicate yourself to Him. But it's a choice. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 15, as I get ready to close. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 says this. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This is what, what it means to live a sacrifice, a, a life of sacrifice. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. When we make up our minds and realize that because Christ died for us, we no longer live for ourselves. Our life now is to live for God, to serve Him in every way possible, and allow Him to use us and be the person that He calls us to be. Nothing in our lives should be off limits to God. Everything should be placed right before God, laid at the altar. When we go to the altar, we are not bringing only ourselves. We're also bringing our struggles, our pain, our strongholds. Because it's there at the altar where God's able to get rid of all those things and release us from all those things so that we can be free to serve Him and be everything He wants us to be. How many of you want to be dedicated servants unto the Lord? How many of you want to be living sacrifices on a daily basis? How many of you want to just give your life and surrender and and give God that right away into your life so that He can go to work and do what He needs to do in us? That should be every one of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, I believe that you spoke into our hearts. I believe that you made some things clear to us. I believe that you clarified some things. I believe that you showed some of us some things or areas in our lives that doesn't resemble Christ. I believe, Father God, that you showed us some things in our lives that we need to burn and give up and tear down. I believe, Father God, that you revealed some things to us that we needed to hear and know. And now, Father, we simply give it to you. And Father... Give us the courage to make a decision every day to become a living sacrifice. To be able to present our bodies for righteous living. To be able to use our bodies for righteous purpose. Father God, I pray for everyone that is here tonight, those that are watching. I pray for them, Father God. I pray that they'll come to a place where they make a decision to follow you and to give you right away of their lives over every area of their lives and allow you to do a work in them, to guide them, to lead them. Father, they'll always be conscious and always be aware that you are living inside of them, that there's someone that is holy and righteous living in them, wanting to work, wanting to do the things that he wants to do in us. And Father, we thank you as we surrender our lives, as we yield our lives to you, Lord, as we become pliable like clay into your hands so that you can shape us and mold us to be all that you want us to be. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the strength to overcome our flesh, 
Because we know this is going to be a battle. But Lord, we thank you for giving us the victory through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father God, that the blood of Jesus has given us the victory to overcome every obstacle that would prevent us from being all that you want us and all that you called us to be. And so, Father, I thank you for speaking to every one of us here tonight. I thank you for getting all of our attention. I thank you for allowing us to put up our spiritual attendance, Lord God. And Lord, for this we thank you. And we give you all glory and praise in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.